All right, we're going to go to the book of Colossians this evening, and we've been looking at the Paul's uh, prayer requests, or the prayers of Paul, and we've looked at several of those already, but you have to go into his letters, and there's a, at least the uh, book of Acts also records, um, well, at least the prayer life of Paul, and in a historical sense. Uh, we have in Colossians chapter 1 another prayer that is listed here, and it's from verses uh, 9 to 14 here in chapter 1, and it's all one sentence. So Paul didn't have the same uh, grammar teacher that I had about doing that, but of course he was writing in different language, And uh, but let's, let's follow it along here as we read. For this reason we also, since the day we heard, a, heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Lord, again, we are thankful for the word of God, and as we look at it uh, this evening, we ask, Lord, that you would open it to our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the power of prayer. And the prayers that are recorded here in our Bible. And as we look at this one, we ask, Lord, you teach us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We come to this, and there are, uh, again, uh, several things. I, again, found it interesting that it's one of the longer you know, prayers all in one sentence. And it's most likely actually a concise prayer of Paul when he writes this letter to him. And he says, this is what I'm praying about. He doesn't actually record ver- verbatim every word that he says about this church and the people there. But uh, nevertheless, these are the areas that he was touching on in his prayer life. I think that's always important. And uh, when we've been looking at this topic over the last few weeks, um, it's good to go back to the Bible and look at biblical examples and sometimes clear out the habits that we all have or we, we come to have and to just be refreshed in the way the scriptures present prayers. And uh, this morning in our men's prayer time, we had uh, one of the guys read from the Psalms, and that's always a good book to go to right away because the Psalms are filled with all kinds of, uh, well, prayers. There's desperate prayers. There's prayers of prophecy. There's also prayers of uh, praise and all kinds of different things. And uh, you can read down through the Psalms and certainly get that. It would be good, I think, to sometimes leave your Bible open in front of you when you're praying and leave it right there in the Psalms. And and maybe pray a, a psalm right down through it, as in your own heart, and looking at that. Well, Paul sort of does that here, where he he shows us a little bit of his heart, and he begins talking about the fact that he doesn't cease to pray for you. Now, that does not mean he constantly was praying for this church, but he regularly prayed for them. He didn't stop. Uh, that says a lot about the apostle, because as he journeyed on and as the early church grew and these churches he planted grew, I'm sure his prayer life also had to grow. And uh, I think of that because sometimes we tend to go the other way. Uh, As life gets busier and we have more responsibility, 
prayer often is relegated to the background and we say oh i've got too much now to pray well we see paul actually taking on more of a responsibility in prayer as that ministry continues to uh, do that he alludes to that elsewhere where he says talks about the trials he's gone through and then he talks about the burden of the churches and he had a great burden just imagine all the needs and requests and the doctrinal issues and all the different things that came his way and and he felt obligated to take on some of that and keep that no doubt brought a lot of stress in his life but he knew where to take that stress which was to the lord well we see again a request that's familiar we've looked at this uh, same theme before in in ephesians in philippians uh, and it's further on down he says this and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding you don't go too far into this prayer and he he shows his prayer request for these people and again it's very similar to what he prayed for at the church at ephesus and also um, philippi and other places as well that they would be filled first and foremost with the knowledge of god and know his will and i think that's important i think that should be our top priority in our own life to know the will of god and to also have those that we influence around us know the will of god and you can't ask for a more important thing i mean there are lots of prayer requests uh i have people uh, who, who certainly will call and talk to me or stop me somewhere or people that i haven't talked to in years they call and say i have this great need and and sometimes uh i just have to go back and say god i i need to know your will on this because i don't know if it's clear or not uh, for instance health issues sometimes you know we want to pray in our own heart we say lord heal this person especially somebody we love and we're close to or you know are sympathetic to or whatever we, we certainly would like to see that they would be restored to health but sometimes in keeping with the will of god he wants them to go through suffering to glorify him even more or to even go to through death and that's sometimes hard to accept but that's where the will of god and our will have to come into alignment and we need to yield to him and that's what paul's talking about here when he says and that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and that's the the, the extremely important you think of all the decisions that take place in life today from uh when you're mostly i mean you think decisions that you make for yourself okay usually that starts in your teen years when you start uh, making decisions about maybe your future outside the home Uh, some people have had to make maybe life-changing decisions in early years of their age you know and stuff like that but generally speaking it's probably in your later teen years and you start you know wondering where am i going to go to college should i go to college Um, should i do this should i do that and you make those kind of decisions and it would be good to in the light of that say what's the will of god and where can i uh, seek his will in those things and people have asked me and i of course face that myself many times and um, the test of what do you do when you have maybe two or three good decisions in front of you and the bible doesn't really show us that either one of them or none of them are wrong uh, but they're all in his you'd say permissive will but what about his specific will? What about that? And I think one of the rules that kind of helps me and has helped us throughout the years, and it's not a hard, fast rule necessarily, uh, but it's something that I think God um, honors, is whatever brings the most trust of him, 
Choose that one. Uh, for instance, you may have you know two choices here. One says go off here, and one says over here. I mean, this one over here says I need you, you know, fuller, you know, more trust. Maybe one, you know, doesn't require as much trust. And you know, I found in my own life, and I think my wife would echo that same thing. When we've come to those kind of decisions, he's always honored that. And even at times when we didn't necessarily want to leave or do something, he always has honored that kind of uh, step of faith. And I got that advice originally from Pastor Dave Doherty uh, years ago. He used to tell the students that when I was a student. I later worked with him on the faculty at MBBI, but uh, that stuck with me. Of all the things that you know, he taught, he taught me a lot of things, but that was one of those things that definitely stuck with me and has worked. But it's good to know the will of God, and, and of course we start with the will of God in the Scriptures, um, and that's why he, he couples this with knowledge. Uh, I think there's several kinds of knowledge that we have, that we gain throughout life. You get experiential knowledge, right? You touch a hot stove and you know, not going to do that again, right? I mean, you learn something from that. Uh, you might have known you're not supposed to touch it because mom told me not to, but after you touch it, you know. But that's, that's one way. Uh, but you also can learn things, certainly, uh, by, not, by just reading and learning as far as an academic exercise. And really, with the Lord, there's both in that way, isn't there? As you walk with the Lord, you experience Him in all His goodness, in all His love, in all His uh, being. And as you walk close to Him, hopefully in prayer and all that, you're experiencing the Lord. But that should be always coupled with what we know of Him. And everything we need to know about the Lord is found in this book. Everything. Now, not everything about the Lord is found in this book, but everything we need to know is in this book. Because the Bible says of itself, John said, if the, all the works of Christ were recorded in a book, that the worlds could not contain the volume thereof. It's, the scroll itself could not be held by creation if everything was recorded of God. Because it would have to be bigger than God, and there's nothing bigger than God. Okay, But the Bible, everything in it, is given for us so that we might know what this life is about and what the next life is about and what man's relationship to his maker is. And it's found right here. And that's why this, there's really no greater book than the Bible, right? I mean, it, is, it should be first and foremost. Uh, and again, it does not cover every area of life. Um, if you go to your doctor and you have uh, some kind of rare you know, test result that comes back and you hope your, your doctor you know, doesn't just go to the Bible to look for answers because he not, might not find it in there. But he hopefully starts with the premise that God exists and he's made us and he, he knows in that that there is design to us, you know, those kind of things. And, but I would just say that where the Bible touches on medicine or where the Bible touches on mathematics or where the Bible touches on science, it's perfect in every way. It's a book of books, isn't it? Well, Paul talks about that because it, he wants them to know the will of God. And uh, he uses the word to be filled with the knowledge and that's an interesting word in the Greek. It means to be overwhelmed, to be fully possessed, to be controlled. And even the word engulfed, it could be translated that way. So think of it that every aspect of your life, your being, is engulfed by the will of God and the knowledge of that will. And a lot of times people make very poor decisions and Christians make poor decisions because... Well, like in Hosea's day, they, they lacked knowledge. And because they lacked knowledge, they were dying. 
It was their own fault. They had the Bible, but they didn't want to read it anymore. And sometimes Christians will do that, right? Sometimes pastors can do that. And we can give very poor advice to ourselves and to others during those times. And then, um, you know, that's one way as well. But other ways is just the fact that we, uh, we forget, don't we? We might know and don't really want to be reminded. And a lot of things we do here is repetition, isn't it? Uh, several of you, I'm sure, have read through the Bible maybe many times in your life. Others, you know, you've heard passages. You've probably heard the book of Colossians many different times and maybe preached through it, some of you. But I can say this, that every time I go through it, it reminds me of the things I already know and then more sometimes. And it's to stir up by way of remembrance, right? Isn't that what we're to do? Sometimes we come and we say, well... Uh, you know, Lord, your will be done, but then we have no really desire of our own, which is our own will, to actually come in line with that. Sometimes God gives us the hard answers, right? You, you say, uh, Lord, raise up this person, you know, in health, and it doesn't happen. And you, you really don't want to hear that side of things. You don't want to watch somebody go through suffering or some kind of trial that comes their life, comes in their life. But when we say thy will be done or your will be done, and that's part of, by the way, the, what we call the Lord's Prayer when he taught his disciples to pray, right? Uh, your will be done, right, Father? And that's exactly how Christ presented himself while he was here on earth. Um, he gave over the use of his perfections as God the Son to the will of God the Father, completely. That's why he could pray that. It's why he could say that, before the going to the cross not my will but your will and he gave over the use of those perfections didn't give up being god but he gave over the use of his divine perfections and that's there's a difference there but really that's how we are to be as well we're to give up the use of our will which is already fallen by nature and selfish by nature and give it over to the will of the father and there are three things that come out of that spiritual truth of the, the will of God. Number one is that God has a will or a desire for you in your life. That's the first thing. And secondly, you also have a will and a desire for your life. And when you pray, your will be done. Thirdly, you are asking that his will take precedence over your will. Have you ever thought of that? That when we say that, we're asking that his will take precedence. And that's why when we pray, we come in, in a, hopefully, in alignment with God, if we're really truly yielding ourselves over to Him. Sometimes that's a, that's a hard thing, isn't it? Um, and understanding the will of God is sometimes hard, too. It's possible that God could use circumstances in our life where someone is wrong, or one side is wrong, but that's in the keeping of his will to make something right in your life. Some big trial that comes up. Uh, Abraham Lincoln grappled with that during the Civil War. Abraham Lincoln's, Lincoln is an interesting man. If you study a little bit about his life, he grew up in a home of a very stern Baptist uh, mother. Uh, he, he attributed his faith later on to his mother, but he was a very stern upbringing. And uh, he mocked, Christianity, sort of as a younger man, uh, made fun of revivalists, which some of them probably 
were made fun of for reasons that were because they were silly, some of them, and doing things that weren't right. But he made fun of them, but, and, and he came to, uh, in his own writings later on, a conversion experience later on. It was actually during the Civil War that he attributes his, his true faith in Christ. And it was after the Battle of Gettysburg and after he had gone there, uh, most famously delivering the Gettysburg Address, but he had visited the battlefield just a few months after it had taken place. And his heart was greatly moved. And, but he struggled with this whole idea of the will of God. Was it God's will for the union to separate? Was it God's will for the union to fight and have men fight to free others? And should he release the, you know, sign a, a declaration to release the slaves and things like that, the Emancipation Proclamation? And he struggled with all those things. In one of his private letters that he wrote, he didn't intend this to get public, but it later was public. It's in his archives, in the U.S. archives, but it's from September 1862. He says, The will of God prevails. In great contests, each party claims to act in accordance with the will of God. Both may be, and one must be, wrong. God cannot be for and against the same thing at the same time. In the present civil war, it is quite possible that God's purpose is something different from the purpose of either party. And yet the human instrumentalities working just as they do are of the best adaptation to affect his purpose. I, almost, uh, I am almost ready to say that this is probably true, that God wills this contest and wills that it shall not end yet. But his mere great power and the minds of the now contestants, he could have either saved or destroyed the union without a human contest. Yet the contest began and have begun, and he could give the final victory to either side any day, yet the contest proceeds. You hear the struggle there? And he's struggling about... I mean, God could destroy the country and, and he didn't even need human instruments in that. And perhaps that was going to happen. He, and he's battling with what is right, what isn't. Only one side could be right. And it's interesting, sometimes we, we think that way. But we often come to contests and you see it at sporting events, you see it other places, I mean, in war and all that. And we say, God is on our side. And the reality is really we should be on God's side. That's the proper place in the line of the will of God. If we're doing something that is a counter to his instruction, counter to what is right and is clear in that way, we're against his will. That's clear. I mean, that's simple. I think Lincoln struggled with that, with all the death and destruction, the, the bloodiest war that America has ever faced, which was a war from within, and um, so much death in that. By the way, his... His little boy died, uh, I believe, that same year of 1862, and very difficult. It was 1861, 62, somewhere in that range. It was about three years before he himself died. And that leads me to that, you know. What about sitting at Ford's Theater, having gone there, and then having been assassinated in April of 1865? And, and, uh, and it's interesting, with Lincoln, he... <laughs> His last words, and this is verified by a couple different witnesses who were there uh, and later testified of it, but very interesting, uh, he had a great depression had hit 
you know, like emotional depression, hit both his wife and himself over the death of their son, their only son, and also uh, the, the fact that the bloodiest civil war or war of American history had taken place, and all of those things were on him all the time. And after the war uh, was finally coming to an end and all that is when he was assassinated. And on the way to Ford's Theater that night, his mood was very uncharacteristically light. And his driver said that he flirted with his wife and they were both quite happy. And it says here, the lightness continued in the presidential box at Ford's Theater. And as the play went on, Lincoln and his wife talked about plans for the future. And this is what his last words were. We will visit the Holy Land and see those places hallowed by the footsteps of the Savior. There is no place I so much desire to see as Jerusalem. Boom, he was dead. Or shot. He died a few hours later. I mean, that, I just think that's, that's weird. <laughs> I'm sorry to bang on the pulpit there, but, you know, but that's, I wanted to make sure you would stay with me. But, you know, I think of that, like, you know, they're really, it's interesting to see that if you're in the line, in the will of God, you're ready to face death. You're ready to face whatever comes. And it should be just like that. That you're one moment, your lips are talking about walking in the footsteps of the Savior, and the next minute, maybe you're, you're right there with Him. And that should be the way it is. And sometimes I, I get called up short because I can pray and, and I have these struggles and things, and I don't really want to change. Hmm. The reality is that we need to. We need to come into alignment with the will of God. And our prayers will not be powerful until we do. A lot of things came out of American Civil War and the history that went on there. And, and I often look back and I say, you know, I, I believe truly it was in the will of God that Abraham Lincoln would be assassinated that night. And, it, and out of those events, there were many, many things that took place, but it helped wake up a nation, I think, a, a little bit more spiritually set a course for the last part of the 1800s especially where men like D.L. Moody and Ira Sankey and others went out and they people were ready to hear the word of God because they had seen the worst of man and the closest you could probably ever get to hell on earth through the American Civil War and that was uh, many many people became Christians then it was then the Bible school movement across the Canada and the United States started and many workers came out of that and and one couple came up here you know planted a church along with others you know and I look at all those things that go on and sometimes we wonder how does that all take place well in God's will and we have to be just ready to accept whatever it comes <clears throat> and this leads to some practical questions and I just list these I I actually got these questions from Ray Pritchard on his little, uh, he has a section here on the will of God and talking about that. But he says this, do I want to know God's will so I can consider it or do I want to know God's will so I can do it? You know, there's a difference, considering it or doing it, right? Am I willing to be engulfed with God's will or do I simply want to help in making a hard decision? Hmm. Isn't it funny? That's often where we ask for the Lord's will is when we have a hard decision. Well, we should always be in His will, right? Am I ready to love what He loves? To go where He sends me? To obey what He tells me to do? To suffer what is required? To wait when it is required? 
to endure when that is required, and to rejoice when that is required? Well, that's a good question too, isn't it? Have I agreed with God in advance that I will do His will even before it is revealed to me? That's a good thing too. That's like going to someone with a blank page and saying, hey, I signed my name at the bottom of this and here's the contract. You write it. All right? I mean, that's what you're doing with God. Now, I wouldn't do that with man. I wouldn't trust him. Even some of you guys, I wouldn't trust you with it. But no, uh, I, would, I would say this, that man, you know, can't be trusted by those things. But the Lord can. And that's exactly how we ought to be coming to him every day. Just turn over the page. You know, it's blank. Here, Lord, here's my signature. I'm ready to go. Will I take the daily small steps that are before me while waiting for the big steps to be revealed? That's a place where a lot of Christians fall down because um, unwilling to take the small steps of sacrifice and of dealing with sin and dealing with whatever God shows you, we wait for bigger things, right? If God would clearly show me that I should be a missionary in Africa, I'll do that. But today I refuse to deal with my heart, my bitterness, my lust, you know, those areas that corrupt us. Do I understand that the will of God is more about who I am on the inside than where I am on the outside? It's a good one. Am I ready for my life to change if that's what needs to happen? And the answer should be yes. <laughs> we need to. Let's go to verse 10 here. Um, and I didn't get very far, but I only have really a few minutes. But listen, the second thing here, Paul says this, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And here... The will of God and coming into the alignment with the will of God and the knowledge of God should lead to a fruitful life. If we don't have a fruitful life, and I'm talking about fruits that are fruits of the Spirit, not fruits of the flesh, um, you know, there's something wrong. We're not planted right or not planted in the right place. We need to do that. And I, I love what he says there that fully pleasing him being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God that's that's amazing really and to walk worthy the root word for worthy um, it's an interesting word it comes from the word heaviness or weightiness and really uh, he wants us to walk with our full weight spiritually there, I guess you could put it this way. There's a lot of Christians that are more needy than helpful. Don't be like that. We all get needy. I mean, there's days I need somebody to come help me, you know, and to get me going spiritually. But if that's my life, you know, constantly, that it's just me, I'm always needy, that's not bearing my full weight. And I'm not walking worthy is really the, the root word to that word worthy. And so I hope that that's the way we are. And obviously, sometimes there's more needy seasons of life. There's more, you may have a trial that comes that, that creates a great need. But even through that, we should be able to bear what we can bear because he's given it to us. And it's in keeping with his will. A lot with that. And as I said, we should be just ready at any moment's notice, you know, to move on and to leave a legacy of faith behind us in that. 
He says, strengthened with all might according to the glory of his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. And again, these are all things of thankfulness that we should have. Uh, and I won't comment on each one of these, but he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. And then Paul ends with this, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Every time Paul prayed, I, he, you find that he goes back to Christ. He starts with Christ, but he goes back with Christ. And he talks about the very fact that we have all this because of the redemption that he's given us. It's that simple. And that's why we live. That's why we pray. That's why we work. That's why we, we hopefully represent the Lord and change and all those different things because of who he is. And I want to be able to, you know, someday leave this world and having left it uh, with more people behind me knowing more about Christ than when I came into it, right? And I don't mean it in a proud way, but that's ultimately the best thing you could leave. I mean, you could leave people money, you could leave people a house, you could leave them whatever else, you know, some contagious disease that killed you, I don't know. But the best thing you could leave them is certainly the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. And that, you know, the generations to come will say that that same thing. Back on February 1st, 2003, I remember that day well, uh, turned on the television and there was a the images coming out of uh, the southern part of the United States and the, the spaceship Columbia, the shuttle Columbia, had, had burned up on re-entry and broken up. And just a couple weeks before that, on I think it was January 16th, uh, that crew of uh, the Columbia had set out on you know another space mission and it had become very routine at that point. And... I remember, uh, you know, seeing pictures from space during those couple weeks, and there's a picture of the crew. The commander there was Rick Husband. It was his name. Uh, prior to joining NASA as an astronaut, he was a test pilot, like so many of them. And he's also he was a Christian man. He is a Christian man. And it was very interesting because everyone knew he was a Christian. Uh, he was very vocal about his faith and about his trust in the Lord. And before the shuttle took off on January 16th, Rick stopped and took his crew and prayed with them. The other NASA workers who were present said, we've never seen that before. Imagine that. Never saw that before, that an astronaut would stop and pray with his crew. At T-minus two minutes before takeoff, a NASA controller commented that it was a perfect day for launch. And Rick replied, the Lord has given us a beautiful day. Before the flight, he left a recorded devotional video for each of his two children for each of the 17 days he would be gone. That was 34 videos that he had recorded so his children would not miss the daily devotions that he had with their dad that they had with their dad. In a video made for his home church in Houston, he explained the values of this of his life. If I ended up at the end of my life having been an astronaut, but having sacrificed my family along the way or living my life in a way that didn't glorify God, then I would look back on it with great regret. I have become an astronaut or having become an astronaut would not really have mattered all that much. And I finally came to realize 
that what really meant the most to me was to try and to live my life the way God wanted me to live and to try and be a good husband to Evelyn and to be a good father to my children. After the shuttle disaster, the pastor in Houston visited with Evelyn's husband and she showed uh, uh, the pastor some, some documents that Rick had left behind and signed in case something tragic happened. And um, one of the, actually the documents contained personal messages to his family and uh, other members of uh, his, his close circle. And it said this, at the bottom of the documents, husband wrote a special note to his pastor that said this, tell them about Jesus. He means everything to me. And I thought, wow, what a great way to go out, you know? What an awful thing to happen too. And I remember that felt like a, a punch in the gut that day when we saw that space shuttle break up. But how God uses people for his glory, right? And I think that's the way it should be. We, we come into the Lord's will. We walk with him, however many days that may be. If it may be, you know, many years ahead or just a few, whatever, that we walk with him. And after it's done and said here on this earth, people look and say, wow, Jesus meant everything to him, everything to her. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We pray, Lord, that you would just um, continue to show us your will and teach us to pray. And that, Lord, we too could someday stand before you and, and hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And, Lord, that would be a, a great delight. And we thank you for the Lord Jesus, and may he mean everything to us as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.